0: Sox Weekly, the official weekly talk show covering all things White Sox baseball. Get the fireworks ready. White Sox Weekly on WLS AM 890. Welcome into White
1: Sox Weekly here on WLS AM 890. I'm Connor McKnight. We have an afternoon chalk full of White Sox conversation for you today. White Sox and Tigers coming up, game two. Of a three-game series. I feel like the only teams around are AL Central teams, what with five in four days against the Minnesota Twins and then three against the Detroit, Detroit Tigers here this week. Uh, Carlos Rodon and Buck Farmer, your starters, this evening. We'll get the pregame show started at 5.35. First pitch at 6.10 out here at Guaranteed Rate Field. We've got you here on White Sox Weekly up until then, and we have an abnormally jam-packed show this afternoon. It is actually... Uh, it's filled with gills, is what this thing is. We're going to hear from Dan Hayes of Comcast SportsNet Chicago here, just on the other side of a break. Ricky Renteria, White Sox, White Sox manager, has just gotten done with his, you know, daily press conference, and with the news that I'm going to get to here in just a second, figured we want to talk to somebody who's uh, right there, front and center, uh, having a conversation with Ricky and can update you with the latest and particulars. Of this ball club. So we'll do that uh, right after our first break. You're in our second segment, I suppose. We will also, on this show, I don't know if you, in case you missed it, Thursday the White Sox uh, giveaway was the Dick Allen celebratory t shirt. Uh, Dick, of course, won the 1972 MVP three seasons with the White Sox is one heck of a player. And the campaign to get him in the Hall of Fame is still very much pushing and pushing hard. The Veterans Committee has split into two parts over the last little bit here, so that's kind of segmented the way guys from his era get in it now, if they're not in already, obviously. Uh, Bill Kishadis, who has literally written two books on Dick Allen is going to join the show. We'll have a conversation with him about his latest, The Life and Times of a Baseball Immortal. Talk to him about Dick Allen and his his years here too, uh, kind of the formative years of Allen, you know, going from the Cardinals to the Dodgers, here to the White Sox. What brought him here? What kept him here? What kept him in baseball? The guy is a an absolutely fascinating ball player and uh, immortalized in a couple of different places here at the ballparks. So we'll have a real cool conversation with Bill Cushedus. Uh, about Dick Allen a little bit later on in the show. Chris Getz, White Sox director of player development, was on the broadcast with Ed and DJ the other night. We'll bring that conversation back, too, with the three of them because they've got perspectives and questions and ways they go about looking for information from Chris and about this White Sox system that Come from a very unique place, both of them being former players, and Ed specifically being a former scout and development guy too. Uh, that conversation was a really cool one. We'll bring that back for you a little bit later on the show. We'll have a conversation with White Sox hitting coach Todd Steverson. Obviously, you know the last couple of weeks has seen resurgence from Tim Anderson. His month of August has been a hot one. Back-to-back doubles in last night's game, Anderson and then Yolmer to win it. A walk-off for the White Sox, 3-2 over the Tigers. So we're seeing more of that. And I think what's been really interesting to watch with Tim specifically is the extra base power with which he's hit here in the month of August. Uh, the average saying pretty good on base percentage, where it will you know usually be for Tim. It's not like the walks have clicked up all that much. But boy, is he hitting for a lot of pop. And that's been fun to watch. We'll also talk with Todd uh, about Yoan Mancata, who is now on the disabled list. We talked with Todd, I think it was Thursday. No, it might have been Tuesday this week. Uh, so that was just right around the point where Yoan had hit the disabled list. So we'll talk with him uh, about those two young men and, and their approaches and exactly what's, uh, what's shaking with them. Do have another player going on the DL today. Nikki Delmonico was placed on the disabled list earlier this afternoon. He's got a sprained wrist. Uh, we'll talk with Dan Hayes in just a few minutes and get the absolute latest from White Sox manager Ricky Renteria. But it doesn't sound like there's anything structurally wrong with Delmonico, and that's a good thing. Considering the 25-year-old left fielder DH corner guy is hitting three oh seven in his first 22 games this year. He's got six home runs, 12 driven in, 17 scored 15 walks in 22 games. That's an on-base percentage of 430, a slugging percentage of 573. Uh, put in short, not many players have come up and produced the way Nikki Delmonico has come up and produced in their first 20 or so games in the big leagues for the White Sox. Uh, he's put himself at the top of that list. Sure, it's a short sample size, but if you're going to show up and play about two months of baseball, might as well make it an eye-opening two months, and Nicky has definitely done that on the offensive side of things. Rob Brantley, who has been here with the White Sox before, is coming up to take his spot on the roster. So the White Sox will have, at least until September starts, uh, and you have to imagine that once September did start, the idea was to have three catchers at some point. Most teams will open that up and try and get the guys a little bit of rest who have to crouch all nine innings. Uh, But Rob Brantley is going to come on up. He is 28 years old. Hitting 290 down at AAA Charlotte um, and has 11 doubles, 10 home runs. Hit for a lot of power. He was also in the Reds organization earlier this season, so those numbers are split across those two teams with the move. And I think this is important, too, and and maybe it's not a conversation for this week. Maybe it's next week's White Sox Weekly. We start to talk a bit about the 40-man roster, what that is, uh, maybe a little bit of a primer, and how it affects a lot of the young White Sox talent that's been acquired over the last six to eight months or so, it's a it's a real conversation that is gonna what's gonna have some import, I think, in the next couple of weeks and finding out who's gonna stick around who may be exposed to the Rule Five draft and what kind of players are gonna be, you know, placed on and available to the White Sox come 2018 so a lot of looking forward to be done but when we come back here after a real quick break in just a few we'll talk with dan hayes of csn and get you the absolute latest from the day-to-day of the conversation here you've got white Sox weekly on wls am 890 and uh there's just a, a couple of star wars night here at the ballpark this evening so if you're heading out make sure you bring your uh We'll bring your lightsaber, your Jedi robe, Sith robe, whichever you're into. Either way is is fine with us, and we'll uh, we'll have a wonderful night out here at uh, Guaranteed Rate Field as the White Sox take on the Tigers. Uh, hey, Deadheads! Though you can join us on Friday, September first, for Grateful Dead night as the Sox take on the Tampa Bay Rays. Purchase this ticket package to receive a game ticket and a specially designed White Sox Grateful Dead tee. Be sure to stick around for the post-game fireworks show presented by Jewel Osco. Visit WhiteSox.com slash Grateful Dead to get your tickets today. You've got White Sox Weekly on WLS AM 890. Dan Hayes of CSN Chicago is next. Stay with us. We're talking White Sox all afternoon long. You can't touch this. You can't touch this. Welcome back to White Sox Weekly here on WLS AM 890. I'm Connor McKnight. We are out here at Guaranteed Rate Field. White Sox and Tigers coming up in just a little bit. That's Carlos Rodan and Buck Farmer, who Ed will tell you he is not related to, but I don't think he minds watching him pitch. White Sox fans, you can join us at the Whites, as the White Sox take on the Cleveland Indians Thursday, September 7th at 7.10 p.m. The first 20,000 fans will receive a White Sox hooded Henley. A hooded Henley? You will pay double for that. Usually, you can get the Hooded Henley, presented by Guaranteed Rate. Get your low, low mortgage rate at rate.com today. To purchase tickets, visit whitesox.com. We are joined now on the show by Dan Hayes of CSN Chicago. You can follow him on Twitter at CSN, CSN Hayes. CSN Hayes. I always yeah. forget which for one it is. For a few more weeks, then we're for, rebranded. We're, re- we're all rebrand. Oh, that's right. We're going to NBC Everybody's Sports. Everybody's getting a whole new name now. Yep. Will you? You won't lose the blue check mark on Twitter, will you? I hope not. That'd be bad. Be no, bored. no, no. You gotta I have the blue check. Mark. I won't lose the blue check. Mark. How will White Sox fans know that your news is legit <laughs> if you lose the? I don't know if they know it's legit. Anyways, <laughs> no, it is. It is. So let's get caught up. Some you've just come, literally rushed upstairs, and we appreciate you coming on the show. Yeah. Uh, from the conversation, the daily conversation with Ricky Renteria. Nicky Delmonico goes, goes on the disabled list today. Yohan right. uh, Mancata already there. Rinaldo Lopez is there. Matt Davidson is back. I was wondering if we could just get a, a catch-up with you since you were down there yeah, of where the walking wounded are.
2: Yeah, uh, Delmonico, it sounds like it's... Ricky was talking about the fact that all three of the injuries suffered this week are kind of nagging. So it's along that not as serious. They're, they're kind of feeling like he escaped anything serious there that... They're just being cautious because sure. it is a risk sprain with him. So it's going to be you know whatever time it takes to get that back. Um, Ronaldo Lopez was encouraging. He, we we talked to him. You know we we've seen him playing catch all homestand mm-hmm. yesterday threw a bullpen fifty pitches has another one scheduled for Tuesday and then would start potentially here after that. So and he, Ronaldo threw all of his pitches in that
1: bullpen he session, did, session too. He did, Sometimes so, you like, want to know that just in case a guy if he's right. just throwing fastballs then maybe going to make gonna that be progression. Some time. Yeah, and and he had thought. Initially, it was more
2: serious. I mean, he's a young guy. He's never experienced anything like yeah. this before. So you could see the relief on his, his face as he's talking about how another bullpen, and then he thinks a start after that. And we asked Rick Renneria, you know, is that going to be a, a minor league bullpen or a minor league game? And, and he said at this point most likely it would probably be here. Of course, it's all got to come one after the other. The, the foot the the right foot in front of the left foot, mm-hmm. all that good stuff. But as he if he keeps progressing, he'll be here soon. Um, and obviously, Yohan Moncada, we know, is, uh, seems like he's pretty—he he made it seem on, on Friday night like it was not serious, and it didn't—it sounded like it's not that serious either. Mm-hmm. I mean, the fact that these were all described as nagging to me just tells me that they are things that the White Sox have to monitor, and they're going to take care of because all these guys are their future.
1: What does it look like then for the near future? You know, Rob Brantley comes up here, and you have to imagine that a third catcher was on his way at right. some point, you know, when the roster is expanded for sure. But, you know, as as these injuries, which are, like you said, kind of nagging ones go, you know, how, how many more can the White Sox afford to bring up once September comes around? They're at 37 on the 40-man roster. Right. No, this is, without question, all hands on deck already here. Yeah, I mean, we were just
2: looking at that DL list and – you think back to the guys at the start of the year that are gone with Petrichka, or not Petrichka, with uh, Putnam and Nate Jones and Giovanni Soto. Who, you know, we talked to him earlier this week, and he didn't totally rule out coming back at some point. Giovanni Soto didn't. He he said okay. he's hopeful, but he didn't know. I mean, the fact that I saw him in full catcher's gear heading to the bullpen to catch a session the there today. Seemed pretty encouraging, but he, it didn't sound like he's done a whole lot of throwing. Sure. I think he just caught it and is getting the legs ready and the body kind of adjusted because obviously he hasn't done that since April. But I mean, you think about it, yeah, it's thin right now.
1: Willie Garcia is gone, and you got to imagine Willie probably the rest of the year. I mean, you would hate for something to happen to make that big setback with a with a jaw like that, especially when
2: your manager had a broken jaw in nineteen ninety and and missed an entire year yeah. and sat. Uh, basically slept sitting in a recliner for a year oh, to, to and had many surgeries to get back from that. I think if there's one injury that, even more so than the others, the manager's like, I know what that's like. We're not going to rush you at all. Sure. I mean, y- you lose the body weight that Willie has. He's, you know, when you can't eat, I think he said he lost like 15 pounds in the first couple of days just wow. because he was sipping everything. Liquid diet stuff. Yeah. I mean, so you think about all those things, he would be the guy... I might be more surprised if I saw him on the field than Soto, just given that I think Soto wants to continue on his career, and
1: getting back on the field would be a good way to get
2: you know some momentum towards that.
1: Talking with Dan Hayes at CSNChicago.com. Uh, let's take a look back from last night. Miguel Gonzalez threw a gem, and he's been pitching really well. Save an absolute bummer in Boston. Right, Just a real ugly start there. He's been fantastic, really, he since coming back from the DL. Rumor has it, perhaps he's cleared waivers. Perhaps he hasn't. You know how tough that is to, you know, really get nailed down at this point in the year. Are are there possibilities left for the White Sox? Racon has made it very clear that he's open for business if people are willing to call. I mean, he's a pitcher. He draws a breath and he's throwing the ball well. (laughs) Like I'm stunned he's still here, and
2: I I will be just like everybody else a little bummed when he. It's been weird this year, just seeing all these great veteran guys go out the door. It's part of the process. I've I've been through it on other teams I've covered before it's never gets any less strange when you're hey Todd Frazier was the guy we talked to every, every day. day you know and and I, I think you look around and there were a lot of those guys that we talked to every day and it's there're still some guys that have interest I mean Miguel Gonzalez honestly should be on a contending team I don't know that it would have to be a perfect situation the way he made it sound was it's tough he's got a young family he yeah. li- he loves yeah. it here I'm sure he'd be content to finish out the year here. And, you know, they're looking – obviously they're going to probably need one veteran for that rotation next year. Sure. At least at this – I'm sure
1: he would love to be that guy and come back. But – you never know how things go. Well, I, I find next year's rotation a really interesting subject. We've talked about it a lot here on the show with, with a lot of different people. And I, you know, I just wonder where, where you kind of look at it. I, I talked with Jeremy Haber, the assistant general manager of the White Sox, a couple of weeks ago. And I asked fairly pointedly, how many rookies can a team have in a rotation at one time? How many are you comfortable with? And his answer was, at, as up to six I guess Jeremy's a very – it's six. You could have six, theoretically. No, but we talked about the issues around it. What do you think they are comfortable with? I mean, Giolito has shown really well in his first start. We'll see what he looks like tomorrow. Lopez, as he bounces back, could hopefully get another three, maybe four starts. Right. Can both of those guys make the rotation start of the year next year? I I absolutely think so. I think Uh. they're here here to stay.
2: You know, Rick Hahn had been pretty clear on – once the guys get there, that's where they want they, they want them to make those failures here so mm-hmm. that they can adjust and come back from that. Because they've already done that in the minors. There's really nothing left for Ronaldo Lopez to prove. Maybe if he had an absolute disastrous run and needed to figure things out, they'd send him back down. But I think he's here. I think that Giolito's here. Uh, Carlos Rodon is, is the really big question mark because, look, they wanted him to be their 200 inning guy yeah. this year. And obviously things didn't go well, but now you look at what he's done and... He looks like he could be that one or that two. So you got Shields. You've got him. I, I think that realistically... Shields and
1: Rodon. Yeah, Shields, yeah.
2: Rodon, Gilito, Lopez. And, I mean, I think they will go and try to do something. I mean, it's still rebuild. So why not try to get a, you know, a project where it's like a Derek Holland, where they're coming back from health. And I, there's some interesting guys out there that might want to take a one-year flyer and then get flipped in July to a contending team. That's what my... My idea is, I don't know that that's how they plan to do it, but mm-hmm. it makes sense
1: just given how rebuilds work. Dan Hayes, CSNChicago.com, on the uh, on the show with us here. Follow him on Twitter, CSN Hayes. What has James Shields done differently? How, how has this kind of come around? What, what do you know about the process of, of his dropping down? Yeah. It, three starts ago, it was seven or eight pitches, and I was like, oh, that's kind of weird. Yeah. And then two starts ago, it was, oh, he's doing that a lot now. And then the other night... That was Gene Shields the whole way through. It, I, I look forward to, because
2: we get him again on Tuesday, I think. Yes. It, he talked about the other night, and it was it was fascinating to hear. He said some teammates got on hold of him and said, hey, you know, you used to do this a lot more. Why don't you maybe do this? And he's been keeping the ball down. I mean, he's still giving up the home runs here and there, but three hits the there a night, uh-huh. uh, not walking a whole bunch of guys. That's the key for him, I think. It is. And, and really, I, I think he's comfortable with it, but he said it's a work in progress, and it's going to be kind of fun to monitor the rest of the way. Look, he re- knows that he kind of has to reinvent himself, he knows he's not what he was. Teams are different now, too. I mean, the way that hitters are prepared and trying to barrel and, and looking to put the ball in the air more. And it's all He knows he has to adjust because the league has adjusted, and I think that this is part of that, and it's going to be kind of fun to
1: track that while he uh, goes forward with this team. I don't want to let you go before we circle back on Nicky Delmonico. You know, we did touch on the injury, and it's yeah. good that it's, it's not good, but it's good that it is just kind of a nagging thing. Right, right what have you heard from you know guys you talk to, scouts that kind of like, about Delmonico? What's the level of surprise? Probably isn't the best word, but with the way he's performed, it's kind of tough to pick a, de- a better one.
2: Yeah, look, I expected his bat would be good at the major league level. Mm-hmm. It surpassed what I thought. I mean, when I looked at him, I thought maybe 260, 280, 15 to 20 homer guy. And part of the reason that I don't think he got prospect hype was one, He's a little bit older. Two, he doesn't have a position, a general position. True. So he's a bat. He's viewed as a bat only guy on the prospect scout side. But at the same time, his bat can play. He will play. The fact that he is willing to drop down bunts to keep the defenses honest before two strikes really changes a lot of things for him because he has a shot to hit for a little more average if they're not playing the shift on him because he's a pretty much a dead pole hitter i was looking at it that yeah. it's like 48 percent pole and you know he isn't far from qualified for the batting title but if he were that'd be about seventh or eighth in the league i think salvador perez is the uh pole guy well Fif- King, yeah 55 yeah, percent. <laughs> so delmonico is you know hovering within five six percent of him you need to keep that defense honest, and, and he's a really smart guy. I mean, baseball family, like the baseball IQ, you can tell, is definitely just ingrained. He was probably born with a ball in his hand, and he looks like it.
1: Real quick before we let you go, Tim Anderson last night gets a double to lead off the ninth inning. Yelmer Sanchez brings him around with an extra base hit. Tim's August has been a lot better than yeah. his first five months of baseball. That's it was not a good first five months. There were a lot of circumstances around him. Yeah. And these last couple of weeks have been great. Where's he at? I, I think he is
2: refreshed again. I mean, look, you can say it. It's a sophomore slump. It yeah. really is. And there was part of the you expected maybe he'd regress a little bit because teams were going to figure him out, and then he had to adjust. But I don't think with the circumstances off the field, it gave him a chance to even breathe. I mean, he didn't sleep for six and a half weeks. was tough. He, he was just out of it he was and you can see it you saw it in Jose Abreu last year sometimes when the off the field stuff is so serious they just don't look like they're they, they look lethargic on the field when that's not really the case it's just that it's not all 100% there right. mentally and you've seen it with him he's smooth to the ball on the field yeah. I think he's had one error since July 18th yes um, he's hitting much better he's coming through and it's the extra bases that he's taken, doubles, triples, stuff like that. We're seeing much more of him hitting it to the right side. That bat speed all of a sudden is back again, and he's hitting his pitches again. So he's just more alert, and, and it's good because for him to end on a high note after this kind of year is going to teach him a lot going forward, I think. I mean, if he can get through that.
1: You can get through anything. Right. Dan, appreciate it. It's always Always good having you on the show. We'll look for the latest. CSN Hayes on Twitter is the handle. You've got White Sox Weekly. When we come back, we'll talk with Bill Kishadis. He has written the book on Dick Allen, and we'll talk a bit about the 1972 MVP. you got White Sox Weekly on WLS AM 890.
0: Sox Weekly, the official weekly talk show covering all things White Sox baseball. Get the fireworks ready. White Sox Weekly on WLS AM 890. Welcome back into White Sox Weekly. I'm
1: Connor McKnight. It is our pleasure to have Bill Cushedis, baseball historian out of Philadelphia, who has written the book, Dick Allen, The Life and Times of a Baseball Immortal. Just anecdotally, the first time I walked into the press box at what was then U.S. Cellular Field, Right there in front of my seat was the Sports Illustrated cover of Dick Smoking a Cigarette and Juggling a Couple of Baseballs. Uh, Bill also runs a podcast, Philadelphia Baseball Past, Present, and Personal. We'll shoot out a link to that toward the end of the interview. But, Bill, thanks so much for coming on. Really looking forward to talking about Dick Allen.
3: Thanks for having me, Connor. I, I really do appreciate it. And Dick Allen right now is a very hot topic of conversation because, as listeners might know, Uh, He was supposed to be on the ballot uh, for Hall of Fame consideration by the Veterans Committee this December. Mm -hmm. But uh, last summer, the Hall of Fame announced that they were breaking that committee, the Golden Era Committee, into two groups. And unofficially, we have heard that Dick's name is not on the ballot for this December and his candidacy will be pushed to December of 2020, which those of us who are big Dick Allen fans and uh, have uh, established a campaign to get him into the Hall of Fame are, of course, very concerned about.
1: I want to get into the Hall of Fame stuff in a bit here, Bill, because it is fairly interesting. We've seen you know, campaigns kind of rise around players over the last handful of years in, in kind of a different way, um, whether it's just a, a general campaign or, or works like... Uh, a bunch of writers getting together and and going for Burt Blylevin or even just this last year, Tim Raines. But first, what what drew you to write the book on Dick Allen?
3: I wrote my initial book on Dick Allen was published by Penn State Press in 2004, and it was titled September Swoon, the uh, Richie Allen, the 1964 Phillies and Racial Integration. And that book Tried to address, well, did address the racial turmoil that was going on in the city of Philadelphia at the time. Uh, Dick, then known as Richie by the uh, sportscasters and, and the journalists in Philadelphia, uh, the racial turmoil that surrounded uh, the emergence of, of his superstardom. Um, he had a very, very. Uh, tremendously harsh uh coming of age in philadelphia mm. in the 1960s and it revolved around an incident with a white veteran by the name of frank thomas um they came to to blows thomas took a bat and cracked it over dick's back wow. and that was the beginning of uh dick's problems because Uh, Thomas was a very popular white player in a city that was segregated, and uh, Dick was not allowed to tell his side of the story, and his side of the story was that uh, he had stood up for other black players when Thomas would ridicule them, so uh, Thomas went on a local radio station and excoriated Allen, and after that, there was no peace. And I might add that the Philadelphia press and the fans were schizophrenic in their treatment of Dick. Interesting. They would boo him. They'd call him the N-word. They'd throw things at him, batteries, coins, bottles. So he took to wearing a batting helmet whenever he played the outfield, which gave him the name Crash. Um, And... You know, then he'd come in, come up to the plate. He'd hit a home run. They would give him a standing ovation. So this, I started following baseball in '64, and I had memories of this as a six-year-old kid, and, and this was just astonishing to me. And I adopted uh, Dick as a hero, initially more out of fascination and and sympathy than for his extravagant home run hitting. Um, but Dick put up with this stuff, and I wanted to make clear that at a time when free agency did not exist, mm. he had no recourse except to force a trade, because the Carpenter family would not get rid of him. They was they, He wasn't their franchise player. So what did he do? He showed up late to games, or not at all. He spoke his mind, all in an attempt to get traded out of Philadelphia. Now, once that was done, he was fine. And I think it's unconscionable that a writer like Bill James has come out and said, quote, unquote, Dick Allen blew apart every team that he ever played on by manipulating racism. That is that is untrue. Mm. In Philly, he was a victim of racism wherever he went after that. Uh, And even in Philadelphia, while he was a victim of racism, he was a good teammate. He was a phenomenal player that carried uh, the club at at many points. And we know in Chicago, he saved that organization because the White Sox were floundering financially. And there was talk of having them move out of the Windy City. And he saved the White Sox franchise. Uh, So... For James to make that statement, and a lot of writers fell into line behind that, that's why Dick never got into the Hall of Fame when he was on the writer's ballot, uh, I think is unconscionable.
1: We're talking about Bill Kishadis, the author of Dick Allen, The Life and Times of a Baseball Immortal. Let's talk a bit about then 1970, 71, and then 72, the year that saw Dick go to St. Louis, then L.A., and then the White Sox, or those three years, and then win that MVP award in 1972, his first year with the White Sox. That movement, the the changing of teams, you know, baseball had just started to see that. Dick obviously was a, a giant star in the game at that point leading up to his, his MVP award. What led him to land with the White Sox?
3: Well, let, let me take a step back because those are the years that I really do want to address. Your initial question was why did I write this second book? Uh, September swoon ended in 1970 with Dick's trade to St. Louis. So I had enough audio tape of Dick, uh, when I, I wrote that initial book that I knew I could do another book, a complete biography if I wanted to. And I felt that now was the time because of what's going on with his hall of fame candidacy. So I wanted to tell the rest of the story. But I also wanted to give pictures because I think many readers are drawn in by uh, the phenomenal images of his career, which also tell the story. I mean, it's one thing to talk about discrimination and write about it. It's another thing to show it. Um, It's also another thing to talk about his powerful swing and, and the way fans responded to him. And it's another thing to show it. So I think the the, the book that I, I just came out with, it's a illustrated biography, and that's so important to understand Dick's particular set of circumstances. Mm. Um, now, in 1970, Dick was unwittingly part of a trade that went down in baseball history that paved the way for free agency. He was traded to the St. Louis Cardinals for Kurt Flood, who was the center fielder of the St. Louis Cardinals at that time. And there were a couple other players involved in it. Tim McCarver came over to Philadelphia from the Cardinals. I think um, Dick Selma might have been part, of or Joe Horner was part of that trade. Kurt Flood saw how Allen was being treated in Philadelphia, and he did not want to go. He didn't want to put up with the same stuff that Allen put up with. So that's what really was the initial domino that that started all the others falling. Um, So Dick came to St. Louis with a bad rep, and that rep was he's a troublemaker. Hold on to him for one year to help your team win a pennant and then get rid of him, which is what was the rep he also had when he went to Los Angeles. But the real reason the Cardinals traded Dick was because there was no place to play younger players uh, who were coming up in the system uh, without shuffling the entire lineup. And that made Dick expendable. The Dodgers uh, traded him away because it was a down year and they thought he was done where he was averaging 30 homers. I think he had maybe low twenties, mid twenties in 19, um Seventy-one. Uh, so Dick was talking about retiring; that he didn't want any more of baseball, and he certainly didn't care about the money, as he said, "Well, I grew up poor. You know, <laughs> once right. you're poor, you know how to live poor." But his mother, Era Allen, who was the strongest influence in his life, said, "Look, you were given certain gifts by God." And not to exercise them is 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 a sin, pretty much. And uh, Chuck Tanner was a close friend of the Allen family. He grew up uh, in nearby Newcastle, not far away from Wampum, which was Dick's hometown. And uh, together, uh, Tanner and Era Allen convinced Dick to to come to Chicago, and he did. And Chicago made him feel beloved. Uh, He was very welcome there. Here's a guy who ran away from fans in Philadelphia. He gets a TV show in Chicago. Uh, He would never go out uh, on the town in Philadelphia, never go to restaurants, uh, never go out uh, in public. He felt comfortable going out in public all the time. In Chicago. So Chicago really, really embraced him. And after that 72 season, uh, when he won that uh, MVP, he also won the um, AL uh, home run title. Uh, it was home. It was home for him. And he loved his three years there.
1: Do you think, Bill, that he and, and the rest of those, that 72 White Sox teams, those early 70s White Sox teams, do you think they knew, and, and Dick specifically, that they were doing for the franchise what they were doing
3: it was pretty clear to the assistant general manager roland heeman who's repeatedly said that dick saved the chicago white Sox. it was very clear to him he said it at the time uh and and he he said it ever since I interviewed uh, Rich Gossage, Goose Gossage, and Bill Melton. Gossage was a rookie. Melton was established. Mm-hmm. I think he was the AL home leader, uh, home run leader. I think it was either 70 or 71 before Dick came in. Awesome power hitter until he had that uh, herniated disc in his back. Um, and both of them, you talk to them, they, they say the players knew it. You know, when, when Dick showed up, He was the star power that they needed to make a run. And they knew, they knew the franchise was in trouble. Uh, And there, you know, no one could hold a candle uh, to Dick in his record. So, as as, uh, Goose uh, said it, we just uh, got on Dick's back and rode him like a Clydesdale. (laughs) So everybody, everybody fell into line. And and Dick is not this kind of rah-rah guy. He's he's quiet. He leads by example and the quiet word of encouragement. And both uh, Bill Melton and Goose Gossage have said that uh, he in, in, endeared themselves uh, uh, to them just by, you know, that – that uh occasional word of encouragement and, and confidence. And there's a real funny story, at least I think it's funny, um, about Dick's loyalty to his friends. Harry Carey, he used to have uh he used to have his broadcast, Wednesday afternoon broadcast out there in center field mm-hmm. um and he'd sit out there with a beer in one hand and a fish net a uh, big fishnet in the other to catch home run balls, whatever. And Kerry had been especially uh, critical of Bill Melton, uh, who came back and was playing hurt uh, with this herniated disc, uh, and he was just on him. It seemed like, you know, every other day. And Dick was very close to Bill Melton, and he did not appreciate that. Uh so after one particularly uh, critical uh, uh, analysis that um, that Harry Carey did of Bill Melton uh, on air, Dick went up to Bill the next day and says, I'll get him for you, I'll get him for you, I'll get him for you. <laughs> and Melton figures out, Dick, don't get into a fight, you know, th- th- this isn't worth it. And he said, no, no, no. So he, he comes up, and I forget who the game was against, but he comes up late in the game. The, the the Sox are down by a run or two, and he gets a fastball, and he gets it slightly outside. Well, that ball and Dick Allen's home runs would take off like it was a line drive, but they kept on rising. And even the outfielders were, you know, confounded by this because a ball they thought was catchable just kept on rising. So that ball's rising, he's heading right in the center field, headed right for Harry Carey's head, <laughs> and he keeps on rising. Harry Carey figures, well, that ball's not going to come near me, right? All of a sudden, the fishnet goes flying out of one hand, the beer out of the other, and he's scurrying for it, and the ball hits the seat where he was sitting. Wow. And, you yeah. know, Allen just, you know, slightly with his head down, circles the bases, goes back in the dugout, and he says, Belton Bill, told him might get him for you. <laughs> you know, he, was that, he was that kind of guy. And many of these White Sox players said if he wanted to, he could hit a home run at will. But he often in games, he would set up the pitcher. He'd find out what their whole repertoire of pitches were, and, you know, he'd go and hit them in the later innings when the Sox needed them. Uh so he he really he was and is a, somewhat of a folk hero in Chicago.
1: So, Bill, reputation aside, let's just take a look at the numbers here. The old baseball reference page has a lot of black ink for Dick Allen from 1964 all the way to 1974. Uh, two years with the Phillies, he, he came back to Philly, but wasn't quite uh, the Dick Allen that you know, 1964 to 1974 was. What are the cases uh for Dick considering the length of his career, uh, the injuries that did happen to him, the cases for him for the Hall of Fame?
3: Okay, I just real quickly I, I want to touch on why he was not the power hitter in Philadelphia the second time around. Sure. Not many people know in seventy four that he ruptured that Achilles tendon right. that he that he he torqued with when he hit. Now a ruptured or Torn Achilles tendon is the death knell for a power hitter. He, he, in his mind, he was going to retire. He was talked out of retirement by the Phillies, specifically Mike Schmidt and Dave Cash. Mm. Schmidt needed protection in the lineup. He knew with Allen's experience, he could do it. So they talked him out of retirement. Dick really did not want to come back until he was convinced that he could be of some help. Uh, so, yes, those last actually uh, three years, it was 75, 76. He finished up his career with Oakland, only played, I think, a third, maybe half the season. Now, you ask, what is his case for the Hall of Fame? He's got 15 years, 15 years, okay? Um, and and that's more than a decade uh, of a career. He of, of that decade, eight of those years – were really quality years, if not more. All right. Career totals. uh, 292 batting average, 351 home runs, and 1,019 RBIs. Now, this was in an era when it was the pitcher's game, not a hitter's game. The pitchers dominated. And mind you, This was also when hitters were not on steroids, okay? Now, I find the biggest irony that Bill James, who was probably the most vocal critic of Dick Allen, is also the inventor of sabermetrics. And what James has done, whether he knows it or not, is he's just reinforced Allen's candidacy. There is a stat called OPS plus, Mm -hmm. that is a combination of on base and slugging percentage adjusted, adjusted meaning to the dynamics of the ballpark he played in and so forth. Well, if you look at the decade, 64 to 74, okay, which actually those are 10 years and those were all quality years for my before I said eight years or more, it's 10 years. They were all quality years for Dick. His OPS plus for those 10 years is 165. For his career, it's 156, which ranks him 19th of all time. 19th Mm. of all time. You're talking about in the same party of Ruth, Garrett, Fox, Simmons, people like that. All right? There's another stat, and that is called offensive war, wins above replacement, meaning how many more games would a team have won if the, or how many teams would a team not have won or games would a team not have won if this particular player was replaced by an average player. Right. And Dick's offensive war is 69.9. That's his career offensive war, 69.9, which means single-handedly his back, was responsible for winning his teams a total of 70 games, all right, which puts him in the top 60. Now, (laughs) you know, you tell me, you tell me, with numbers that are better than many of the other power hitters he played with at that period of time, does this man not deserve to be in the Hall of Fame?
1: Bill, I am uh, I am the proverbial choir in this equation, and I am absolutely for it. And uh, we'll have to see, I suppose, in short afford- short order whether Dick Allen gets into the Hall of Fame. But I know you'll be right there behind him the whole way.
3: Yep. Well, me too. And I know hundreds of people just in the Philadelphia area are behind it. We're probably talking about thousands if we go across the country.
1: Yeah, and a bunch of White Sox fans involved in that too. Bill, thanks so much for hopping on the show. Really appreciate it. Again, the book is Dick Allen, The Life and Times of a Baseball Immortal by Bill Kishadis. Thanks so much for joining us. Really appreciate it.
3: Thank you, Connor.
1: That's Bill Kishadis who wrote the book. Dick Allen. Life and Times of a Baseball Immortal, you can buy the book, bookstores, anywhere. It's a great read, uh, and we'll probably have Bill on again as the candidacy of Dick Allen comes a little bit closer to coming up again. The White Sox September Ballpark Pass is available now, and for just $60, fans can attend all 17 games in September with tickets delivered digitally to your smartphone. Visit whitesockscom slash pass for more information or to order yours today. 430 News is next. When we come back from that, we'll have a conversation with White Sox Director of Player Development Chris Getz. So stay right here. This is White Sox Weekly on WLS AM 890. Welcome back to White Sox Weekly here on WLS AM 890. I'm Connor McKnight, and we got about an hour until our pregame festivities begin. White Sox and Tigers coming up here at that time. Carlos Rodon and Buck Farmer, the starters, we will see if Carlos is able to keep his uh, real strong stretch of starts going. Boy, he told reporters after that, you remember in the Cubs series, He went four and struck out 11. That's right, 12. uh, 12 outs in four innings. 11 of them were strikeouts. A lot of walks, too, for Carlos. He said after that he was pretty confident he'd get things figured out. He has. And and I think in different ways, too. Uh, We'll talk a bit, I think, in the pregame show about Carlos, who's going to have the start, and exactly what we've been watching from him a little bit. Ed and DJ will break it down, too. Um, But for right now... Let's take a look into the system itself and talk a bit about the kids down there who may be, you know, that next piece of the rotation perhaps with alongside Carlos Rodon or perhaps the next power hitter with the White Sox as well. And speaking of Ed and D.J., uh, just the other night, Chris Getz, who is the director of player development for the White Sox, stopped by the booth and had a conversation with the both of them. And I, I think cool perspectives from all three of them, All obviously all former players, all having played for the White Sox and making some other stops along the way. Ed spent a lot of formative years both as uh, in, a, in a scouting development role with the Orioles. Uh, Chris started with the Royals in the front office. And, and DJ being in a number of organizations and knowing what it's like to be You know, one of those top prospects, having seen that before, I think you get some cool perspective here looking into that White Sox system. So, wanted to bring it back for you from the other night. Uh, Chris Getz, director of White Sox player development with Ed Farmer and Darren Jackson here on WLS. Uh, Angle, he can play center field with the best of them. Darren and I talk,
4: two center fielders in this game, they're probably the two best in the American League. I would agree with that.
5: Yeah, Adam Angle, I mean, he's fun to watch out there. He can cover a lot of ground. Uh, obviously, we're, we're working on him uh, offensively. He's got a lot of potential there. But just to be able to go up there and, and perform from a situational standpoint, I mean, he's got power too. So if we can get some productive at-bats from him with his defense, we got a pretty good
4: player. It wasn't that long ago that you were playing here with us too. No, it wasn't. You know, I mean, look at the transition you have made. Now you tell these guys what you went through. This is got to be beneficial to them all
5: hope so. You know, yeah. I went through a lot of these things. They've gone through, obviously, on the minor league side. I've I've played at all the affiliates uh, that these guys have experienced. And then up here, I've I've played up here as well as a uh, part of the Chicago White Sox and and definitely as an opponent. As
4: Gene well. Watson hated to lose you with Kansas City, didn't he? Gino. Yeah. Yeah. Shout out. I know these things. <laughs> <laughs> things, unfortunately. Um, when you look at the kids that we got in the two trades with Boston as well as with Washington Nationals. If you get four or five of those guys to the big leagues, we're doing well, aren't we? I mean I like to say we're going to get all nine or ten or whatever it is. We've got ten or eleven of the best players in the minor leagues in all baseball. Yeah, I mean history would tell us
5: if you know, we matched that number that we would be doing a good job. But I have to say is you know, the position that I'm in, I want all these guys yeah, to reach the big leagues, and I want them to, to reach their potential. So we do everything we can on a daily basis to do that.
4: The best player that you've seen in our organization it doesn't have to be Mankata. Is there one down there that we haven't seen or talked about? Well,
5: we haven't talked about uh, Eloy Jimenez at this point. Yes. Um, you know, obviously, he's a guy we acquired for from uh, the Cubs for uh, Quintana. He... You know, the first game I saw him, he got five hits. Yeah. Um, so you know that was a good start. It was just, you so he know, knew you were coming. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure, I'm sure. But he he's an impressive guy physically, um, and then you know the maturity level. He's 20 he just, years old. Is that 20 years yeah. old? Just you know, he's able to communicate. Uh, he has an advanced feel at the plate. Hits the ball to all fields, and then you have the power. And that's why I feel like the power is going to be real
4: because he has an idea at the plate. How about the kid that's in the Dominican right now uh, that we signed? Luis Robert. Yeah, how about him? Have you seen him down there at the academy or I've, anything?
5: I, I've seen him down there. I I haven't seen him live. Yeah. Um, but he's he's physically gifted. Uh, he can run with the best of them. Uh, he's got power. He's got to control the strike zone, yeah. too. That's what he's shown so far. So when you start you know, picturing these guys together on the field. um, It's going to be fun to watch someday. When
4: you, uh, and this is a question Darren wanted me to ask you because he wanted me to ask you this. (laughs) How many guys were we calling up in September? I know that decision isn't yours alone. Yeah, you can't. can't I'm just telling you what he asked me. I'm not telling you I asked that. He did. Ask him. He asked me. He said, "Ask him that question." Darren, you didn't want to take that question. Huh? I don't even know what he's talking yeah, about. Yeah, but uh, I, I see the you games you guys are playing. Uh, no, no, here. I'm telling you the truth. I've got support
0: behind me. They there will sure.
5: be players coming. Okay, all
0: right. all right. You know what? I want to ask you this: Is Kopac coming? <laughs> I want to ask you this, Chris. What do you think? You know, what unique thing can you provide with your aspect, from your aspect of giving to these young kids? Because you went through the system here, you know the place and you play in the big leagues, minor leagues, I mean, what can you, that's unique to you, give to them? Well, I think,
5: personally, because I, you know, I was drafted by the White Sox twice, I came up through their system, um, I, you know, I got called up to the big leagues here, I experienced a trade, um, when they couldn't get, you know, couldn't wait to get rid of me, but I just feel like I can relate to these guys, um, I I really can, just based on, you know, my personal experience going through this thing. Um, obviously, I, we just came from Kansas City as well, and and saw, a, um, saw the development process happen over there um, from kind of the ground up. And similarly, that's what we're trying to do here as well. So um, just try to use those experience and help these guys the best I can. But to the White Sox half of the fourth,
4: Johan Makata will lead it off to second baseman. Has he disappointed you in any facet, this kid here? Disappointed? Yeah, in any no.
5: aspect. No, not at all.
4: He's got some plays that he can make in the infield, and those aren't self-taught, that's for sure. That pitch outside low. It's the little flip that he's got. Get uh, the you know, little, little canoe. You said Cano yeah, the Robinson canoe yeah. move. And he's a dynamic player, and he's going to only get better. Here's the 1-0. That's low. Two balls, no strikes. How about him hitting right now? You've seen him better than this. I have. Yeah. I mean, it, we knew there were
5: going to be, you know, some some tough days um, with Moncada, but he had reached a point where it was it was right. It, it was time for him to get up here and. Um, you know,
0: finish his development here. Oh, you have uh, something to ask him down? Ask Chris Gutz? No, I, I, I'm wanting to finish what he's talking about. Some of these uh, things you were expecting, yeah. you know, especially with the bat.
5: Well, the good sign with him is he's still controlling the zone. There is obviously some swing and miss within the zone, but he's staying away from pitches um, that are off the plate. Obviously, that's an example of the right there. Um, that's a pretty good indication that there are some good things to come, just because he has a feel. For, for what he's trying to accomplish up there, um, you know, it, I think once he becomes more disciplined with his approach at the plate, um, he's such a powerful kid. He can drive the ball out of the park, um, you know, pretty much to left field, center field, to right field. He could do it. If he just stuck, I think, more to left center field throughout, he's probably right. going to stay on some pitches, get a little bit more barrel leg to, to, to stand some off speed. But, um, he shows so much potential, and he's he, he's got great ability. It's ability that you know just doesn't come around that often.
0: You know, uh, h- how about this? Tell me about because there's a guy I've been intrigued by since last year, and you know we, he hasn't been talked about as much as some of the other top prospects. Uh, Alec Hansen, mm. tell me about him. Yeah, Alec Hansen. He's
5: had a, he's had a very good year. I mean, uh, even going. I'll take it even further back. When we drafted him, we were we were fortunate to be able to get him where we got him. Um, you know, he kind of struggled. His his, uh, his junior year is uh, his draft year, and, and we got him. And he just took to professional baseball. And some guys really do that, the routines, just the pace of it. Um, got off to a good start, went to Canapolis to begin the year this year. Did very well there. Went to Winston-Salem, continues to do that. Um, and he's actually going to make – uh, his first start on Monday uh, for the Birmingham Barons in Double A. Okay. So a guy that's uh, pitched to three levels uh, in one year is obviously a, is a positive. He's a he's a obviously physically imposing guy at um, six foot eight or right. uh, six foot nine something like that. But he uh, he's got a power fastball, hard curveball. He's got a slider and a changeup. Um, when he stays over the rubber, gets on top of the ball, works the ball downhill. It complements that curveball, and he can rack up some Ks not only with the with the fastball, but but with the curveball. He's uh, he's a competitor, and he's got a chance to be to,
4: to be a very good pitcher up here. Organization has to be pleased with one Aaron Bummer also taking him in the nineteenth round. Yeah, that, John Surgery also.
5: Yeah, he's uh, he's had a very good year as well. He's um, made every stop. He has. He has. Obviously, he was coming off of his injury and. Um, you know, you get a look at him this year up here now. It's gonna be great for him moving forward. But power fastball, the slider, kind of a slurvy action. But yeah. you know, I tell you what, he's uh it's actually showed better up here than I thought it was going to. He's it's been pretty effective pitch. He goes right at guys. Um he's fearless guy. I think he's gonna be a good piece for our
4: bullpen moving forward. One ball, one strike on Del The runner goes, the throw to second base, and then the second base for the stolen base is Mancado.
0: That's his first successful stolen base. It's good to see that. He has got powerful explosiveness about him. That's what I like about Moncada's speed. It's not necessarily just quick. It's just flat power. And uh, somebody earlier mentioned a comparison of the power of Ricky Henderson. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And uh, Ricky obviously was one of the most explosive runners in the history of, of anything. But Moncada does have that kind of power, I think, on his takeoff.
5: Yeah, I mean, guys like that who run that way, it can be a little bit deceptive, but all yes. of a sudden you look up and he's getting stolen bases. He's getting down the line. If you yep. have a stopwatch, uh, you're like, oh, man, that guy's the guy's scooting pretty good. But he's got an ability to impact the game in
4: a lot of different One-two ways. One-two pitch ripped on the ground off the first baseman's glove around third. makata coming
0: home. Safe at home plate. 2 nothing White Sox. Never stop. You were saying uh, impact the game what? <laughs> in a lot of different ways. Yeah. Case in point right there. Uh, we talk about Moncada's speed up here regularly, but just like the game uh, a couple days ago, a base hit to right field, he turns into a double, and then he gets moved over, and then a ball that's not far from home plate, he scores on it, beating the pitcher to the plate, and now a ball that never leaves the infield, and he's got the speed, and Nick Capper the third-base coach, understands, I can sim this guy with that speed, and he does. Okay, so we've got these pieces of the puzzle going. How is Zach Birdie doing?
4: Well, he,
5: from Downers Grove Illinois right here yeah local kid um, you know he, he had Tommy John surgery back. obviously and he's uh, working through his rehab right now um, you know we hope to we hope it, we hope to have him back as quickly as possible obviously a Tommy John surgery uh, takes time and he needs to be patient he's such a hard worker um, so it was an unfortunate uh, thing for the organization and obviously for Zach but he uh, we believe that uh, because of the makeup and his drive, he's yes. going to come back uh, the way that he was. But obviously, you got a powerful fastball, and you got a good slider. And uh, hopefully, he'll be back
4: here and be that uh, kind of shutdown reliever down the stretch for us. Here's one for you from Darren and myself. Nicky Delmonico has played better at the big league level than did the minor leagues. He does not want to go back, he told me. <laughs> I don't blame him. It's been fun
5: to watch. Now, he's a gamer. Yes, he uh, is. He's a baseball teammates player. Teammates love
4: him. Coaches love him.
5: He goes up there. He gives him his best. He's uh, come a long every way, night. hasn't he? Yeah, he's got a, he's got a good story. Um, yeah. But you, watch, you just watch him as a baseball player. He's got a clean swing, uses the whole field. He stays in there against lefties. Um, he's just a guy that you want in your lineup,
4: showing up every day, and you're a teammate with him. He's got that factor where you say, Hey, we can follow this guy a little bit. He's going to take us someplace. I think so. He doesn't give up. I mean, he just doesn't give in either.
0: He's sure going to mention it. He's been at one game where he's in not reached base. I'll, get you. I'll say this uh, on a personal note. I enjoyed when you were playing here. Yeah, you me know, too. I always enjoyed your conversations with you and appreciated your effort. Glad to have you back here as the, uh, play, the director of player development. And uh you know what? Keep going, man. Keep yeah. keep getting Thank these you. guys playing the game just like you did thanks, hard. No, I you know, appreciate your family
4: it. your enjoyed the city of Chicago because you were one of our guys. You know that always. Thank you. Thanks. I so to you at Kansas City when I saw you as well. That's Chris Getz. a uh, better guy than he was a player, and he was a good player. That's the way it should be.
1: That's Ed Farmer and Darren Jackson with White Sox Director of Player Development, Chris Getz. Obviously, the three are pretty tight. I thought it was a pretty cool conversation. You know, you got to go through a lot of the names that we've gone through here on the show, but with the perspective that, that I can't offer you, that these guys, you know, they were on the field and they do the job. So I, I thought it was definitely worth rolling that back. You can commemorate this inaugural Players Weekend, the weekend where all these crazy colors and nicknames on the back of the jerseys you can commemorate the weekend at mlbshop.com with limited edition White Sox jerseys and tees featuring the player-picked nicknames. You wear the gear the players are wearing on field this weekend. Available while supplies last at mlbshop.com. We'll take a quick break. When we come back, we'll start the farm report. It'll be a farm report in two segments, uh, but it'll start next on WLS AM 890. This is White Sox Weekly.
0: What the hell's going on out here? White Sox Weekly Farm Report. We need a live rooster to take the curse off Jose's glove, and nobody seems to know what to get Millie or Jimmy for their wedding present. Candlesticks always make a nice gift, and
6: uh, maybe we can find out where she's registered, maybe a place setting or a silverware package. On WLS
0: AM
1: 890. Okay, let's get to it. Welcome back to White Sox Weekly. This is the Farm Report. Let's get you up to speed on some of those White Sox prospects down there throughout the minor leagues. We're going to do this in two parts. One here after the 5 o'clock news. We'll hear from White Sox hitting coach Todd Steverson. And then uh, when we come back, we'll finish out the Farm Report. Just a couple of minutes. I wanted to get it started here so we don't lose track of where we're at at AAA, uh, they play Gwinnett tonight. It's a Michael Kopech start. It'll be his second at the Triple A level. And a lot like we talked about with Dan Hayes of CSN Chicago in the first half hour of the show, you know, the, the same idea of, or a similar idea, I should say, of having Rinaldo Lopez and Lucas Giolito up at this level is to get some bumps out of the way, right, some hiccups out of the way. Now, with Giolito and with Lopez, as with Kopech, they were kind of done with the levels prior. Really not much more to prove there. But if you you know start to get on the on-ramp now, as opposed to just throwing whomever it is, Kopech, Lopez, Giolito, into that level at the start of next season, well, maybe you get a little bit better transition, a little bit smoother thing uh, if you get your hiccups out of the way now. So that's very much, I, I think, the idea for Copac It seems obviously that he's going to be a triple-A. Everything goes right to start next season. And who knows? Maybe. Maybe. Maybe he's got a chance to win a job in camp. He's pitched incredibly well so far this year. Uh, he starts tonight. That's a 5 5 start for Gwinnett. Meanwhile, and uh, speaking of some of the minor league news, Nikki Delmonico placed on the DL today, which means Rob Brantley comes up from AAA Charlotte, a third catcher on this White Sox roster to help spell Kevin Smith and Omar Narvaez. Have to imagine that move was probably on the way come September. Most teams do call up the third catcher, but with the space on the roster the way... Uh, The White Sox have already called up a lot of those young players that might have come up in September and injuries have kind of taken them away from them. figure might as well do that now. Uh, Jake Peter is a guy who may get a crack at the 40-man roster in September baseball. He was 2-for-2 with his seventh home run of the season in the Game 2 of a doubleheader against Gwinnett last night. Uh, Danny Hayes is seventh in home runs in the International League. He's got 19, and Jacob May has gotten things really on track at A after a uh, rough go at the beginning of the season at the Major League level. He is second in stolen bases at 26th. He's got uh, five triples down there in A Charlotte, which is good for fifth in the International League. At double-A, the Birmingham Barons play tonight. That is a 6-30 start against Tennessee. Tanner Banks will take that start. A doubleheader for Birmingham as well. Last night, Zach Collins was 3-for-3 three three with a home run and a double and a single. In the second game, he was a triple far away from the cycle. It would have been back-to-back nights for a White Sox minor leaguer with the cycle. Jake Berger did it two nights ago. Zach Collins was a triple away. Nice to see Zach Collins swinging a little bit. He, of course, got a promotion uh, just a little while ago up to A. He was promoted with Michael Kopech, and then Kopech uh, – or, no, pardon, it was uh, Zach Collins getting promoted, and Kopech was promoted that same day or next day to A. We will continue on with the farm report a little bit later on in the show, right about 5.15. We'll pick it up about halfway through the Birmingham Barons report. When we get back from the 5 o'clock news – White Sox hitting coach Todd Steverson is going to chat with us a bit about the performances of Tim Anderson and Yohan Moncada since oh right about the first of August. So keep it here. This is White Sox Weekly on WLS AM eight ninety and the White Sox Radio Network.
0: Now White Sox Weekly, the official weekly talk show covering all things White Sox baseball. Get the fireworks ready. White Sox Weekly on WLS AM eight ninety.
1: Welcome back. White Sox Weekly rolls on. I'm Connor McKnight. We've got about a half an hour before our pregame show starts. White Sox and Tigers going to get going here for the second of three. It is Players Weekend. The Tigers are back in their hunting orange hats. They're out there right now taking a while. They're just wrapping up BP. There they go. They're scurrying off the field here. You can join us at Guaranteed Rate Field as the White Sox take on the Tampa Bay Rays on Saturday, September 2nd first 20,000 fans will receive a Mark Burley bobblehead. That's right. You heard me. A Mark Burley bobblehead presented by Toyota. Visit WhiteSocks.com to purchase your tickets today or by calling 866 Socks game uh, We're splitting up the farm report into a, a bit of a doubleheader. Started it earlier on in the show, covered AAA and AA. We'll continue on with AA and the rest of the low minors when we uh, come back after our next break. But... Uh, Todd Steverson, White Sox hitting coach, had a conversation with a couple of us gathered downstairs the other day, and we talked a lot about Tim Anderson, we talked a lot about Yoan Mankata, and what the conversation started with was a chat about plate discipline and how teachable or, or not teachable parts of that skill set are and how they apply to some hitters who are working through the big league level at the first time. Here's Trick, the hitting coach of the White Sox.
6: Obviously, his plate discipline is, is, is big for me. Uh, he's still still trying to feel himself around in terms of timing and understanding how they're pitching him up here. But uh, overall, like I said the, the way that he's been able to get on base still without really being at his best swinging is uh, pretty positive for him. Say when you have those positive things it's easier to have the patience. At least
2: a young guy; it's really
6: early in his career. Yeah, I mean, hitting's a process. Baseball's a process, and then and, and let him go through it. Uh, this this time that he has here is, is a great learning experience for him. And um, there's no other place to learn better than where, where you want to play at the highest level. So uh, day day in and day out, and, and like I said, uh, I've talked about it with you, Colleen, but uh, having the, having the people around him like like Jose, yeah. you know, and, and early he had uh, Cabrera here also yeah. helping him out and doing some things like that. He, he's been able to adapt a lot, lot faster. How about his uh, lefty-righty skills? I mean, what uh, does he have two different swings? Okay. Okay. All switch hitters have different swings as it comes to both sides of the plate. Um, you're never probably going to take more right-handed bats than you will left-handed in this league just because it's a right-handed pitcher's league. And so, you know, your right-handed typically is is either you have more uh, strength that way or or you do, you know, you maybe go the other way better, you know, and right-handed. But I think he has probably more power right-handed, but since he doesn't take the consistent at-bats right-handed, it, you know, it becomes a little funky for him to switch over, especially in the middle of the game. It's one of the hardest things to do is to switch over to the middle of the game and, and take it at-bat the other side. But, uh, you know, you got to learn that process. And, and uh, same thing, left-handers t- tend to have more change-ups. That's typically their second best pitch most left-handers and that's one of the toughest pitches to hit in baseball. So, you know, that's part of the learning process of his right hand side of the swing.
5: You talked about
2: with Tim before that when you have as much bat speed and raw power as a guy like that, pitchers are going to try to throw as much off speed stuff out of the zone and prove, until you prove that you won't get out that
1: way. Is he going through that kind of stage right
6: now? Yeah, they're going to test you. they got to test you up here. Uh, they've already watched your minor league video. I mean, everything's public now, you know, with with, the, with all the video and, and uh, games being broadcast on, you know, MILB and things like that. So they have a good idea, and you've been scouted, and so they got to see, you know, how how far rope, you know, you'll put yourself out there with, you know, while you're going to chase this off the plate. Oh, you did. Let me throw a little further. Will you chase that one also? And, and it's up to you really to create your own uh, scouting report for yourself. If you don't chase, they, they, they got to come in the zone and uh, you have a better chance to hit. But the more things that you do that are obviously not conducive to being a good hitter or or, or chasing out of zone, they'll do it more and more and more until you've stopped. And uh, this is no different with Timmy and, 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 uh, and, um, and Moncada. The more and more you go up there and take quality of bats, the more and more they know they have to pitch to you instead of just throwing to you. Many people believe that it's wrong to try to uh, have a young hitter learn how to walk. Where, where do you fall in on that conversation? Well, That's a tough line of learning how to walk. Uh, if, if you know the zone... Uh, and know what you want to hit. Okay. It, it, it's a lot easier. Really, you, you walk because you hit. Uh, is what it boils down to. Uh, and you do damage when you do put the ball in play. And they don't want to see you swing, is why the majority of guys walk. But there are a certain amount of guys that, that have a great eye, you know, a lot like uh, Narvi Omar. He's got a great eye, you know, and uh, he's not a power guy, but he understands the strike zone, so he takes his walk. And at the end of the day, if you're watching the bat like him, Like, he takes also a ball, ball and a half off the plate. You know, he takes it. Some guys swing at that ball just because they think it's a strike. Uh, You can't be afraid to go down in the count in this game you know you can't just yeah. go hacking right off the get go you can't be afraid to go 0-1 I have a saying I'd rather be 0-1 than 0-4-1 you know so uh, waiting on your pitch is necessary yeah yeah, you know where it's at right can you have, from what you saw of Nicky in the spring yeah, and in the past much were much you,
0: much are much
6: you surprised much at, much? at all at the yeah. start he's getting up to no no uh a surprise yeah. is a, then, uh, a rough word for him, but I, I thought he had the ability. Obviously, I'd seen Nicky a couple years before that when he first came over to the organization, and uh, you know he's done some things uh, physically and mentally to his game, and he's refined it pretty good. And uh, he's worked he worked his tail off this offseason. You know, I live in Arizona and I saw him come out to the ball uh, to the ballpark way before spring training was ready. Refining his approach and his thought process of what he wanted to do, and he was able to put it together. I mean, he probably knew he was going out AAA, but he, he left a great impression in the big league camp. And uh, he went down and did work down AAA, and he's up here and having a good time right
5: now. One, one more question about walks. You, you think uh, bases on balls for some hitters are overrated and that there's too much concentration
6: on, on base percentage for some guys rather than just, as you said, having quality at bats and, and doing something good within it? Well, uh, you, you can never underestimate on-base percentage because, I mean, the more runs you have on base, the better chance you have to score. And, you know, that's the old adage, you know, the, the name of the game of offense is, is create runs, and that's the best way to do it, if you, especially if you're not going to hit home runs. And uh, the ability to hit, though, is still necessary. Uh, I wouldn't want anybody to just go up there and just take all walks all year long. That's, that's not what it's all about. I want you to walk when they offer you a walk, but I want you to be able to hit. Uh, at the end of the day, when you have a guy, this us this, just take Melky for example. When he came up to the plate and was a runner on second base or his game was on line, a lot of people had an idea, hey, this guy can hit. Hey, we got a chance to win this game or we got a chance to drive this guy in. That's the kind of guy you want to be when you get up to the plate, the kind of feeling that the fans and, and your teammates have for you. they like, ooh, look who's coming up. You know, the guy, he can hit not just a, a guy that either could take a walk or is a you know one-trick pony hit a homer kind of guy. You know, we want hitters. Okay. Is there anything different with, you know, Tim this month as much as he's driving the ball, or is he kind of sticking with the approach he's had? Well, no, nothing different. Better pitches. I mean, and you'll always hear me say, if you go back and you, you look at the tape, you look at where the balls are that he's been hitting, they're, they're up, out over the plate, They're strikes, and, and, and he, he's got a good swing. So, um, you, you can you can you know poke holes in any hitter that swings at bad pitches, and he knows it, and uh, as well as everyone else. So when when he gets good pitches to hit, he does well.
2: Gilmer, he said he adjusted his hands a little bit this season. How it's really made an impact for him offensively. What do you mean? How his progression has been this year from previous years, and how further he can go? Well,
6: I, don't, I mean, you—you you, you probably weren't here at the time. I mean, he—he's coming a long way because uh, he had a year where he was hitting 400 before he came up here. I think that was 15, I believe it was. He was hitting 400 in AAA. Came up here and he was—he ended up being our everyday second baseman. He was hitting like 150. For the majority of the year, and that's very tough mentally on on a, on a player to be able to go out there and, and and still execute, you know, his defense amongst going up there and not feeling that his best at home plate. And he was able to bring that up, I believe, over the 200 mark, you know, that year, which was a testament to him. But he learned a lot about himself, and he'll tell you about it. he learned a lot about himself that year. And uh, he's always been a good hitter. You know, he, he's always been a good. In terms of his hands, that's just positionally, positioning stuff and timing things. But he has a good eye, and he's got a good swing, you know, from both sides. So obviously, his left hand swing is what you see the most, but uh, he's a good hitter.
1: That's White Sox hitting coach Todd Steverson, kind of uh, spraying to all fields, used the cliche about a couple of White Sox hitters. Yeah, Yolmer did have a season where he was hitting darn near 400 down in the minors, came up here and had a rough go, but he's been a a good part of this White Sox lineup for the last little bit, especially with Matt Davidson out for a time, too. He's been playing some solid third base. Ever dream of being a White Sox player? Hands up. Uh, Now is your chance. Attend the 2018 Chicago White Sox Fantasy Camp at Camelback Ranch, Glendale, January 14th through the 20th, and be treated like a pro. For more information or to reserve your roster spot, Call 623-302-5078. One more time. Here it is. 623-302-5078. Or sign up at WhiteSox.com. We'll wrap up the second half of the Farm Report. When we come back, this is White Sox Weekly on WLSAM. To White Sox Weekly, closing things up. Actually, just a couple of minutes left for uh, for us to all hang out and talk a little White Sox baseball. Boy, have we done a lot today. A lot of good conversation. And in case you missed any little bit of it, you can head online wlsam dot com slash White Sox. All of our episodes are available on podcast, so you can download them and. Listen to them at your leisure, maybe during the off season. You just you kind of got the Jones. I mean, not that White Sox Weekly doesn't run through the off season; it certainly does. But you know, if you got a hankering, if just an hour during the off season is enough for you, you head onto the website, you download them all, and you just listen to them over and over and over again until your boss fires you from your job for listening too much White Sox Weekly. That's your choice. We leave it up to you. We talked with Bill Cascadas, who wrote the book on Dick Allen, who's looking to get into the Hall of Fame, nineteen seventy two MVP for the White Sox just across the street. Here we talked to Dan Hayes of CSN Chicago and got the latest on all the injuries to the White Sox in case you are just tuning in a little bit early for the pregame show. Nicky Delmonico hits the disabled list today. Sprained wrist. Good news is it doesn't seem to be anything structural, but it may take some time for the symptoms to kind of shake out and lose the soreness and get back to hitting the way he'd been hitting. Boy, has he been hitting. Uh, we also heard a conversation that Ed Farmer and Darren Jackson had with Chris Getz, the White Sox director of player development. It was a good one, and a lot about some of the top prospects and even some of the uh, some of the not upper tier, upper echelon prospects too. In case you're interested, take a listen through some of that. We had a conversation with Todd Steverson, White Sox hitting coach, about a couple of the young hitters who have been on the come lately, especially since August 1st. The uh, White Sox, uh, a couple of young White Sox hitters have been hitting it pretty well. Let's get back to the farm report. We got about halfway through it before we had to step aside, take a break, and then uh, chat with Todd Steverson. Michael Kopek has begun his evening in Charlotte. He is, well, if I clicked on the wrong right thing, he is through two-thirds of an inning. He has walked one. He has struck out one pretty early on to uh, find out he got a called strikeout of Ronald Acuna, who was a top prospect himself. In the Braves organization, Uh, boy, has he just been fantastic. Young, too. I mean, just a very big-time prospect is Acuna. He got him looking on strikes. And then uh, a walk and a fly out, and Kopech is pitching now for the Charlotte Knights. We were still in Birmingham, though, when we left off. Both Spencer Adams and Jordan Guerrero, starters for the Birmingham Barons, have thrown really well this season, but have you know maybe just hit a little bit of a wall, perhaps. Uh, Spencer Adams gave up four over six innings in his last start. Jordan Guerrero, and this was just yesterday, they played a doubleheader. Jordan Guerrero uh, allowed five runs on three and two-thirds innings, a season-high 10 hits. However, Guerrero is 4th in the league in strikeouts at 130, 6th in innings pitched. Spencer Adams is 3rd in innings pitched and 8th in strikeouts. So you know, some good numbers for the guys, but we are late in that minor league season. And for some some pitchers, some arms especially, who just haven't pitched this long, you're going to see some bumps in the road, and that's okay. That's what the end of the season and some of the call-ups and promotions are about. Get that done now. Learn what it's like to get deep like this. I mean, both of those guys I just mentioned, 140 and a third innings for Jordan Guerrero, 150 for Spencer Adams. Those are long seasons, uh, and certainly a big part of getting older in the system is going deeper in your seasons. You know, putting up those 160, 170 inning years before you get to your, you know, first big league go in the rotation. And with the way those two have pitched, Adams and Guerrero, it is entirely possible that one, perhaps even both of them, uh, get looks at the major leagues at some point in the next year or two. And uh, and who knows, we've talked a lot about how even though the, the top prospects are the guys will watch now and you know have MILB live for Michael Kopeck starts, there are gonna be players with less prospect shine on them now that matter to the White Sox more than some of the, you know, the top-ranked guys. It's just the way baseball works. There is attrition, and washout's probably a little cruel, uh, but there is a certain amount of, of turnover in those lists, and uh, real players play this ball game. All right, down at Winston-Salem, real humans, I should say. Winston-Salem, Class A, that's a 5.30 start, so we'll get underway in just a little bit. Um, a couple of nice nights For A.J. Puckett, he got his first win as a member of the Winston-Salem Dash. Second quality start in, what is this now, three trips? Yeah, three trips to the mound for Puckett since coming over from the Kansas City Royals. He was uh, one of the arms in that deal for Melky Cabrera. He gave up two runs on nine hits, did not walk a batter in six innings as well. Dane Dunning ranks 5th in ERA in the Carolina League, 3.77, 7th in strikeouts with 116. Uh, Dunning, one of those guys who had a bit of a hiccup last time around, too, but you know, we, we talked about what it is to have that happen. Class A Kannapolis. Oh, and by the way, we mentioned this the other night when it happened, but Alec Hansen has been called up uh, one level, too, so he's uh, no longer in Kannapolis 6'05 start for Canapolis though. Alex Call has a six-game hitting streak. He went one for five last night. Dylan Cease, through his first quality start, did take the loss. Pitcher wins, loss records. You know how those go. Six innings, two earned runs. He struck out ten as well. In case you've forgotten, Dylan Cease was one of the top arms, or the top arm, I should say, in the trade for Jose Quintana with the Cubs. Eloy Jimenez and Dylan Cease. Probably the top two guys in that deal. Jimenez just clubbing it, absolutely clubbing it now at AA. And uh, Dylan Cease pitching well here, getting a bunch of strikeouts and kind of stretching his season along as well. That is going to do it for us here on White Sox Weekly. Boy, we had a huge show and could not be happier that you joined us again in case you missed any little bit of it. You can head to WLSAM.com slash White Sox and download any part of the show that maybe, just maybe you missed. You can head to the park for Dollar Hot Dogs every Wednesday home game through the rest of the season. Take advantage of this unbeatable deal on September 6th as the Sox take on the Cleveland Indians at 710. You can purchase tickets today by visiting WhiteSox.com or calling 866-SOX-GAME. I'm Connor McKnight. Big thanks to Adam Stadzinski and Dave Zaslowski for helping us get this show on air. The pregame show is next. White Sox and Tigers are on the way, so don't go anywhere. This is WLS AM 890 and the White Sox Radio Network.